banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 108 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to continue my run through season three of Super Friends, which combines the new Super Friends half hour along with the Challenge of the Super Friends half hour. And in this episode, I am going to cover the new Super Friends episodes, Battle Letters Core, and Sinbad and, Sp- and the Space Pirates. And also, uh, Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, The World's Deadliest Game, and The Time Trap. And I'm really hoping uh, that you guys enjoyed the first episode of my coverage of Challenge of the Super Friends. Things are going to be pretty much the same for the next seven episodes. Even though I don't introduce the episodes that way, remember, I will be c- covering them by release date. Or original broadcast date, which means new Super Friends and Challenge in one segment, and then new Super Friends and Challenge in the other segment. The best way to uh, keep the weeks uh, straight, so to speak, as this show was broadcast on a weekly basis. And I know Dave McElvenny, who writes in often and who has a letter in this episode. One of two epic letters I have uh, before I start things off. Everybody was looking forward to some real villains, so let's get into some villainy, shall we? At, At the very least, after feedback. First email, as usual, from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 97, in which I finished up season one of Super Friends, the 1973 season, which was, if you remember, way back when, was two episodes, about 43 minutes long each, and I thought that was pretty boring. I'm at a point now where, after having watched the first four Challenge episodes, I'm kind of wishing the show had gone back to that format, kind of eschewed the new uh, Super Friends episodes, which aren't as good. I mean, they're good so far, but... A little less Wonder Twins go a long way. Because what I'm finding as I watch the first four Challenge of the Super Friends episode, you've got, you know, a total of 20 minutes. You figure cut off a minute at each end for the opening and closing credits. That only leaves you about 20 minutes worth of show. And, you know, I've been watching the time on the video files as I've been watching the episodes. And I'm seeing that it takes a long time for Challenge to set up the story. And then the Super Friends only have five minutes of show time to solve the problem so maybe longer episodes would have been beneficial to challenge of the super friends but either way i am enjoying these episodes nonetheless so like i said let's get into feedback from dave McElvenny. dave writes greetings mike the planet splitter wait 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 superman hides his secret identity from lois lane lana lang jimmy olsen perry white morgan edge steve lombard and most of his friends and co-workers but he shares it with marvin I call shenanigans. I thought it was amusing that the scientist Lucius Laban is not only bald but has the initials LL. 
Those glasses he wears be a disguise for Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time? As for the Watermen, we have to wonder about the level of the aliens' technology that they didn't realize that sand is an abundant source of silicon. Surely, even on their own water world, the floor of the ocean is composed largely of sand, just as it is here on Earth. I'm looking forward to hearing your take on the TV version of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Mario Benessi covered that in episode 35 of his Up, Up, and Away podcast back in October of 2016, and it will be fun to hear your perspective as well. Live long and prosper, Dave. Don't worry, uh, we will have Dave's letter next week uh, discussing my rather scathing review of It's Up, Up, of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, the TV special. Mario did cover it in an episode back in uh, two years ago. I purposely didn't listen to, to that episode until I watched the show myself. And with all due respect to Mario, I loved this podcast when it was on. We're, I just couldn't finish the episode because our opinions were just kind of too far apart. Mario gave it heaping heaps of praise, and I just you know I just couldn't go there with him. I wish I could, but I can't. So that's that. Anyone who enjoyed that, I'm happy for you. It was just way too cheesy for for me. Even when trying to look at it through the uh, prism of the time, I would love to, you know, have seen uh, Bob Holiday perform that. But and there was a lost video that I haven't had a chance to watch. That was apparently of uh, Bob Holiday doing one of the numbers. So I'll have to find that and check that out. But it was hard for me to get through that. That's all. That's really all I want to say about the uh, TV special from '75. And let's go through Dave's letter a little bit. <laughs> Dave calling shenanigans on sharing it with Marvin. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way, but maybe that's a super friends thing. Maybe they all share their secret identities with each other, even uh, incompetent junior super friends. They shared identities with uh, the Wonder Twins, too. And yeah, maybe Lucius Laban was Luthor. If, you know what? There's really nothing that says it isn't. So, I guess, Dave, if you want it to be Lex Luthor, it can be Lex Luthor. And yeah, I didn't think about Dave's uh, question about the Watermen and... Yeah, they should have realized the ocean was abundant in silicon, but I guess it's not. I guess the only thing we can say about their ocean is that it is not abundant in silicon. I don't know. I'm not going to delve too deeply into super friend science. There's just nowhere good to take you there. So thank you, Dave, for writing in. My next email is from Steve J. Rogers. No, not Captain America. Uh, Steve J. Rogers, even though this Steve Rogers is from New York City as well. But anyway, Steve writes, Super Friends Series 1. Hey, Mike. Oh boy, that was, well, it was a thing. A few thoughts. When is the Legion of Doom showing up? And I don't mean the iconic wrestling tag team of the 80s and 90s. Seriously, with all those filmation episodes with established villains, it is surprising that all the villains were made for the show. Bit of an un- unintended throwback to the Reeves show, I suppose. Then again, maybe with the way the shows were pretty much heavy-handed message episodes, it's easier to get a lesson across to a one-off villain at the end of an episode than waste appearances by the established DC bad guys. I hope that means less in-your-face lessons every episode when Lex and the gang finally show up. It is a little puzzling that Plastic Man was the first DC hero off the bench. What was, a long-handed man busy off-solving a case with Sue? Also puzzling is that his appearance would be Ollie's last until the Bruce Timera cartoons. That seems strange, especially when this series was made during the Bronze Age glory years, as Green Arrow was a main member of the JLA at the time. By the way, can someone explain Batman's cartoon history of this era? While he, Robin, and major villains are here for every incarnation, as well as appearing on Scooby-Doo for Hanna-Barbera, why will Filmation be producing new Batman cartoons later in the decades? Anyway, good thing you are retooling with the second season series, whatever they are referred to. Still, I'm sure there'll be a hoot to listen to, especially when more established characters start showing up consistently. Alright, so thank you, Steve, for writing in. Uh, well, to answer Steve's first question is, I mean, obviously this message was, this email was sent probably about 10 or so weeks ago when I finished episode uh, 97. Maybe even longer than that, as I may have taken a 
few a week or two off here and there. But anyway, this is the second episode featuring the Legion of Doom. So to answer your question, Steve, the Legion of Doom is here. And I don't think the use of unestablished villains was it definitely was unintended as a throwback to the Reeves show. I'm guessing maybe they didn't have the rights or didn't want to use uh, DC villains. You know, DC villains and the licenses for these characters cost money, so and it's unclear where the where the rights were at the time. And yeah, it is puzzling that Plastic Man is the first DC hero off the bench. But as far as an elongated man goes, I'm not sure. You know, of the DC heroes of the stretchy uh, variety, I'm pretty sure more people are aware of Plastic Man than they are of the elongated man. So just to take a shot in the dark there. And yeah, it also is puzzling that Green Arrow doesn't come back at all in the uh, Super Friends cartoons. Especially once they expand the rosters. I'm with you right there, Steve. That does seem strange. And this was uh, kind of Green Arrow's Bronze Age glory years. And as far as Batman's cartoon history, well, I'm not an expert on Batman's cartoon history, but I'm going to give it a shot. And it is rare that two studios had competing animation rights to the same character, obviously. Obviously, you have... NBC had, the, or Filmation had the rights to Batman and Robin and predominantly most of the villains through their Batman adventure show, starting with the uh, Batman and Superman hour and in the late 69, and I don't remember how many seasons there were through the 70s, but there was, Filmation did have the new Batman adventures going concurrently with the challenge of the Super Friends. Like I said, rare the two competing studios had animation rights to the same character, but there were limits with regards to the villains. The Riddler and the Scarecrow, the two Batman-related characters that were that are highlighted in the opening to the Challenge of the Super Friends were off limits to the Filmation cartoons, as apparently Hanna Barbera already had the rights to those characters. I am guessing the rights to the characters were sold on an individual basis and not as a package. Now Riddler does appear in the opening credits of the show in a pink-colored costume and was mentioned as being arrested at the beginning of the episode, The Deep Freeze. Maybe the pink costume was enough of a difference that. You could say it's not the Riddler, although it probably is. Hanna-Barbera was actually also not planning to only use the Riddler and the Scarecrow in the Legion of Doom. They did want the Joker, but he could not appear in Challenge of the Super Friends as he was, as his animation rights were tied up to, uh, with Filmation. Now, when the Challenge of the Super Friends season, and this extends beyond Batman, according to the research I've been able to, to, to find... When Challenge of the Super Friends was originally conceived, it was named Battle of the Super Friends and featured the introduction of Captain Marvel to the Super Friends. And the group that challenged the heroes was called the League of Evil. Personally, I like Legion of Doom a lot better. And it was led by Dr. Savannah. However, Filmation was producing Shazam and the New Adventures of Batman at the same time. Shazam being the live-action show and New Adventures of Batman being the animated show, which prevented the use of Characters such as Mr. Adam, King Cull, Busha Savannah, Joker, Penguin, Mr. Freeze, and Catwoman. An early conceptual art drawn by Alex Toth would also include Heat Wave, Poison Ivy, and Abracadabra. So, Filmation having the rights to those Batman and Shazam villains kept them off-limits to Hanna-Barbera when they conceived the challenge of the Super Friends. And as far as Batman's animation rights, maybe because Hanna-Barbera had Batman and Robin in a team setting they could use those particular characters maybe it's like the uh situation marvel studios is in right now with the hulk they can use hulk in various team-up movies he can appear in the avengers films basically marvel studios can put the hulk wherever they want as long as he's not in a hulk movie maybe it's the same thing uh 
with Hanna-Barbera Filmation at the time, I don't know. Maybe Hanna-Barbera can put Batman wherever they want, as long as it's not in a solo Batman show. Just my guess, I don't really have any concrete information telling me I'm right or I'm wrong, so I'm just going to theorize that. So, there we go. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with Battle at Earth's Core, and that's the new Super Friends episode, and the challenge episode, The World's Deadliest Game. Hang around, folks. The Long Halloween. Hush. Dark Knight Returns. The Killing Joke. These are all Batman stories that have been talked about and talked about countless times over the years. They are considered classics, and in most cases, that title is fitting. The thing is, Batman is nearly eight decades old, and whilst those stories are worth talking about, there are plenty of other Bat comics that are being a tad... overlooked. And that's where we come in. Hi everybody, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Andrew Leyland. Andy and I decided that it was a crime that there were so many great Batman stories out there that weren't getting their due. To that end, we started a show. The Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show. Our goal is to talk about the previously mentioned Overlooked stories and tell you why they're worth your time. The show comes out twice a month, with the first episode focusing on the back books from the late 70s and early 80s. We're starting with the Len Wein run and working our way forward through the books written by Jerry Conway and eventually Duke Mensch. On the second episode of the month, we'll dig into the various adventure comics that were based on the Fox Kids slash Kids WB Batman animated shows because they're really good and hardly anyone seems to remember that they exist. The show can be found at the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network, which is located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Shining a bat signal on the bat stories that no one seems to remember or care about. Because somebody has to. Alright, welcome back folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 23rd, 1978. And I'm going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Battle at Earth's Core. And uh, all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. When Captain Pierre Marcel and the Wonder Twins are sunk by a strange whirlpool, the starting five go to the Pacific Ocean, and they also dip into the whirlpool. Ending up in a mysterious wonderland close to the center of the Earth. The hollow planets. Where are we? It's incredible. We're somewhere in the uncharted center of the Earth. That giant whirlpool must have sucked us through a fissure in the sea floor. We've got to start searching for the Wonder Twins and Captain Marcel. Right, Superman. We'll head for that nearest shore. They find Marcel's boat and then split up to find Marcel and the twins, who have been captured by tar creatures. Superman and Wonder Woman fight off carnivorous plants but they end up completely lost in another part of the Wonderland. Meanwhile, Batman, Robin, and Aquaman run into three literally big problems. A dinosaur, escape provided by Bat Multicraft Smoke Repellent. A giant jellyfish, escape provided by Barracuda after attacking Aquaman when his telepathy works in reverse. And a rock monster. We're in luck, Aquaman. This water is fresh. It should last us a while. Holy gemstones, Batman. Look at this. must be a million dollars worth of diamonds, emeralds, and rubies here. I'll take some samples for geological survey data. Oh, no! 
A rock monster! Escape provided by the Multicraft Sonar Destabilizer, which in turn floods that particular area. After the rock monster, Batman uses the sonar and amplifier to change Aquaman's telepathic frequency to find Marcel and the twins. Not right. We need more amplification. It's starting to work, Batman. I can see the twins, and they're in trouble. Quick, Robin. We've got to compute the direction on the sonar screen. It worked, Batman! Full speed, Robin. We'll home in on the twins. Superman and Wonder Woman get themselves captured by the other Tar creatures in Atlantis. The two rescue Marcel and the twins, and after dealing with the giant Tar monster, the entire Wonderland floods. Batman and the others come to the rescue, so everyone escapes unharmed. Thanks again, Super Friends, for rescuing us. I only wish we could have rescued that incredible Wonderland beneath the Earth. It was a freak of nature that allowed those strange beasts to live into the 20th century. Right, Batman. And it was another act of nature that took them away. And it's a lucky thing that I have a good nature, or I think I'd send Bleak back to Planet Exor. Oh, no! It looks like Gleek forgot to wipe the tar off his feet. All right, so this episode is similar to... I want to say the Mysterious Mole. That's another episode where the Super Friends kind of found their way to the center of the Earth. If you remember uh, in that particular episode, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Moles, I'm forgetting their first name. But they were using giant air conditioners to cool off the center of the Earth, even though, as David pointed out in a recent letter, that wouldn't work. So basically what happens is we start with the Wonder Twins on a boat, and Gleek's tail is caught by a flying fish. You know, adding a little humor to the start of the episode. Because what else is Gleek there for other than to provide a little bit of humor? Then the boat gets caught in some high winds, turbulent winds, and the captain is quite surprised because the weather service didn't say anything about storms, and they end up stuck in a whirlpool. Now this is a nice action sequence here of the boat getting sucked into the whirlpool. And, and this time, Jaina delivers the expo expositional phone call. I wanted to make a snarky comment about Wonder Woman asking for the coordinates when Jaina was going to list them, but she didn't get the coordinates from Jaina because the transmission went dead. And the computer traces it to somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, north of Hawaii. So, the Super Friends arrive at the coordinates, and apparently no one thinks to check under the water for a sunken ship. And while we're in the middle of the ocean, Aquaman is sitting in a boat, acting useless. The Whirlpool starts up endangering some ships, and Superman flies into action, and this tiny bat boat cannot save these ships, so Superman lifts one of the boats out of the way. It would have been nice for the animators to actually show Superman lifting the boat, but they don't. All they show is there's a close-up of Superman with his arms lit. And I guess it was just easier to draw that than to draw an entire flying boat. So we, quick, we quickly learn where the Whirlpool goes. It drags uh, helpless ships to the center of the Earth. As apparently the Whirlpool sucked the boats down through a fissure in the seafloor. And apparently when you're looking down at the uh, center of the Earth, apparently bananas can grow there. So that'll make Gleek one happy monkey. And uh, seeing the bananas, Gleek's appetite will definitely get the better of him as he is grabbed by a shadowy hand. I had no idea what this creature was at first, and I didn't realize it was a tar creature until later, but... At first, it looked like some kind of uh, gorilla-like being, just judging from the way that it walked. Yeah, but very quickly, the kids are in trouble. So after getting sucked down to the center of the Earth, they find Captain Marcel's boat, and it's in pretty good shape. Apparently, the Whirlpool doesn't damage ships. It just drags them to the center of the Earth. And apparently, we've got an underground beach and an underground jungle, and, and the narrator, Bill Woodson, aptly calls it the world within the world. And 
Tears a dinosaur, just like in all those center of the earth stories. So definitely pulling a lot from uh, Jules Verne, Journey to the Center of the Earth. But there are, however, no mold men, so that's kind of disappointing. After uh, you know, a viewing of Superman and the Mold Men from 1951, I'd love to see some mold men underground. Just saying. And it is funny seeing that this dinosaur trying to eat the uh, bat multicraft, but apparently it's a little tough for its teeth. Now, Superman and Wonder Woman look as though they're taking a leisurely stroll through this jungle. Superman doesn't appear to be in any hurry to find the twins. But they do have time to uh, marvel at the underground flora, which attacks them. Maybe he doesn't want to look at the underground flora too closely. Those are some kind of weird combination between an octopus and a Venus flytrap. And Superman saves Wonder Woman, as apparently she's not strong enough to uh, escape on her own. And this is kind of funny if you're watching the episode along before I, I do the podcast. She warns Superman about her leg before the plant grabs her. You know, just watch it. If you have the episode available to you, just kind of go to that scene. She says, Superman, my leg. And then when she says that, the uh, branch or tentacle or whatever it is is reaching toward her. It doesn't gr- grab her until after she's done complaining about her leg. But Superman rescues her again and they escape. So Zan and Jaina try to escape the shadow the tar creatures by becoming an ice sled and a polar bear, but all that does is get them surrounded by tar, so I guess they didn't sled away far enough. Gleek is appropriately freaked out when his tail is covered in tar. I mean, not only is it scary, because it's probably going to thicken up and be heavy as hell, but how is he going to get that clean? So Batman and Robin are on the multicraft with uh, Aquaman, and I wonder why he's not swimming. He is Aquaman after all, he can breathe underwater, but he's choosing to ride in the boat. I guess he's feeling lazy today. And everything, because he also brings out his uh, Aquaman jet water ski. So, now they're attacked by a giant jellyfish, and it quickly grabs the bat boat. And I do wonder if the uh, multi-craft here has any uh, jellyfish repellent. But what happens here is Aquaman ejects and tries to get some help from the uh, prehistoric sea creatures, but that doesn't work, and now Aquaman has fish on his tail. But Aquaman does use his head. He kind of swims around the multi-craft, and uh, the prehistoric fish kind of knocked the uh, giant jellyfish out of the way, so... Quick thinking by Aquaman, knowing that the fish were chasing him and not doing, you know, what he wants them to do, he was smart enough and the fish was dumb enough to follow him in a straight line and crash into the jellyfish. Good thinking there. And meanwhile, Superman and Wonder Woman are still lost, as apparently no one can tell where they are in this underground world. And what's also weird is that water is flowing uphill, so apparently gravity is screwy down here as well. For those of you who know who have studied your earth science, all rivers flow downhill. It doesn't necessarily need to be a steep downhill, but it's downhill nonetheless. So now uh, they're caught in an earthquake, and Wonder Woman nearly dies for the third time this episode. And he's rescued by Superman. And, you know, as far as this episode goes, I'm really wondering what Wonder Woman is bringing to the table, as every two seconds she needs uh, to be rescued by Superman. And here is Atlantis, at least Superman identifies it as such. I don't quite understand why it's in the Pacific Ocean. Now, I got a big laugh when Superman said the creatures may not attack, and then they do so. And these are the tar creatures I'm talking about. They, they approach Superman and Wonder Woman. He says they're probably not going to attack. And what do you know? They attack. <laughs> and these creatures, like I mentioned, this is when I discovered that the creatures are made out of tar as they stick to Superman. And for the second straight episode, Wonder Woman's roping skills seem to fail her. So Superman comes up with a plan. Apparently his plan is to surrender and hope that the tar creatures will lead them to the Wonder Twins. So Batman eventually finds, I think he calls it safe water, and Robin finds some gemstones, and then they, when he tries to take one, it wakes up a rock monster, because, of course, a rock monster would be protecting the underground jewels. So the Bat Multicraft attacks the rock monster and causes an earthquake and a flood, so now the cave is being filled with, with water from the ocean above. And suddenly Batman knows how to find the twins. He hooks Aquaman up to the Bat Sonar, and Aquaman's telepathy is, I guess, 
amplified somehow, and they find that the twins are in trouble. Go figure. The ones the twins are always in trouble. That shouldn't come as any shock to anybody. So Wonder Woman and Superman find the twins, and it's time for some teamwork. As Superman fights the Tar Men, basically by stomping on the ground and knocking out the Tar Men's footing, Wonder Woman seems to create a pulley system, throwing her lasso up over, uh, over a branch or a part of the cave, and pulls the twins and Captain Marcel out of the tar as they are attacked by more tar creatures. And apparently, a whole bunch of small tar creatures can merge them into a really large tar monster. You know, just in case you were wondering about these things. Like I said, just when you saw it all, you get a tar monster. Superman blusters that this is a job for Superman and shows how ineffective he can be against a tar monster. He goes right through it, and then it throws him into a wall. So, not a very good showing for Superman right there. But, Superman does grab a stalactite, whacks the ground, and he stops the tar beast that way. No punches, just some underground tremors. And here comes the seawater as the heroic Super Friends theme plays. I, I can see that playing when Superman beats the tar creature, but not here when they're facing certain death. And uh, Batman saves the day with his multicraft, and Superman drills a hole so they can escape. And these flooding sequences uh, look pretty well done, you know. I'm not really that disappointed with the animation, you know. It seems to be getting better. Even though Superman's S-Shield, if you look, watch Superman, S-Shield does kind of fluctuate depending on what scene it is. It almost seems as though they have different artists doing different scenes because of all the characters, he's the one who seems to be off-model quite a bit. Especially the S-Shield, which seems to fluctuate from scene to scene. Some scenes, it kind of resembles the uh, Christopher Reeves, and then other scenes, it just kind of looks like a diamond shape with an s in it. Like I said, varies from scene to scene. So Captain Marcel saves them for saving not only his life, but also the Wonder Twins, but Superman mourns the loss of the underwater ecosystem. The rest of the Super Friends are content that nature let them live into the 20th century, and that nature took them away. Yeah, nature took them away, I will say that, because the water poured into the fissure, which resulted from the Super Friends fight. So it was the Super Friends fight underground that did kind of cause the uh, demise of this underground ecosystem. But it's gone. No further tears are, sh- are shed. So this wasn't a bad episode. A little silly in spots, but had some high adventure. And you never really doubted the Super Friends would find each other. I did like the way it turned some of the Super Friends' methods of doing things kind of on their head. That make them work a little differently. Aquaman kind of had to uh, outthink the fish that he was trying to control. And Wonder Woman's uh, superior roping skills failed her and she had to improvise. Good way to see these uh, Super Friends uh, challenged a little more. As we said right into the challenge of the Super Friends episode, the world's deadliest game. And we have a rather short synopsis here. The Legion of Doom tries blackmailing governments for money while trapping Wonder Woman, Black Vulcan, and Hawkman on a planet in a black hole where they are menaced by Toy Man and leading the other Super Friends on an interstellar chase of the Riddler. Well, we finally put an end to their evil game. And it looks like we are the winners. That's what you think, Superman. You forgot about my cloaking device that I used to make the Earth disappear. <laughs> They vanished! <laughs> you foolish super friends! You can't catch us! We've outriddled you again! I've got a riddle for you, Riddler. What has 13 heads and belongs in a cage? Won't learn its lessons and worsens with age. Um, I give up, Batman! It's simple, Riddler. The Legion of Doom. And next time, you won't get away. So, as usual, this episode starts at the uh, Legion of Doom headquarters, and it starts with a villain complaining. This time it's Solomon Grundy, who is getting impatient. Solomon Grundy, tired of stupid plans. Take care of super friends myself. 
silence. Individually, we have failed to stop the Super Friends. Only by combining our forces will we be assured to put an end to them, an outcome for which Brainiac has devised a perfect plan. Precisely, Luthor. My flawless computerized mind has devised a brilliant scheme that will rid us of the Super Friends and have the world paying us for doing it. At this very moment, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Black Vulcan are helping to repair one of NASA's orbiting space stations. With the three of them isolated in space, my cloaking device will make the Earth appear to vanish. Right, Brainiac! And after that's accomplished, my phony distress message will lead them deep into space <laughs> and to my sinister planet of toy traps! <laughs> that should be fun, Toy Man, but not as much fun as I'll have, using my super riddles to lead the other super friends on a wild goose chase that will send them right out of the universe. It's time we put our ingenious plan into action. There are 16 Challenge of the Super Friends episodes. Nobody complained in the first one, as that just was kind of an introduction to the Legion of Doom, so that does leave 15 episodes. If you take away Luthor, who's chairing the meetings and chastising all of the complaining supervillains, that only leaves 12 supervillains to complain, so perhaps someone won't complain in every episode, or perhaps somebody will have to do double duty. So Luthor is chairing this meeting, and he wants to go with Brainiac's plan. Apparently Brainiac is going to send Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Black Vulcan into a black hole, where Toy Man is going to lead them into a toy trap, and it's just very weird seeing Brainiac and the Toy Man, who doesn't look anything like the Toy Man in this episode working together. They're not two villains you generally associate with one another. But this challenge of the Super Friends of Legion of Doom does make for some interesting bedfellows. So the Riddler's plan is to use Riddles to send the Super Friends on a wild goose chase. So Brainiac's uh, little machine appears to make the Earth disappear as the uh, Super Friends help the astronauts put some repairs. I'm pretty sure one of those astronauts is voiced by Olin Sewell, as he sounds a lot like Batman. But basically what happens is one of the women, Black Vulcan and Hawkman, find that the Earth is gone. Well, at least they can't find it, which is kind of embarrassing when you think about it. Losing a planet is nothing like losing your car keys. So whatever Toy Man's plan is, it's apparently working. So Wonder Woman calls Superman, and according to him, he says the Earth is light years away, and once Brainiac turns off his machine, the Earth is going to be back where it was. This is right after the Super Friend, after Hawkman, Wonder Woman, and uh, Black Vulcan depart. As they go light years away to uh, where Superman says Earth was transported to, and... Two questions here. I mean, first off, why are Hawkman, Wonder Woman, and Black Vulcan gleefully chatting in space? You know, that place with, with no air that nobody can hear you scream. And uh, speaking of no air, uh, why is Wonder Woman the only one wearing a space helmet? You would think maybe uh, Black Vulcan's electricity can protect him from needing air. And I don't know what ex what a Hawkman's excuse is. But they have bigger problems to worry about as they're sucked into a black hole than onto an alien planet. And they can't reach the Hall of Justice. Black Vulcan tries to get away by turning into uh, lightning, but he can't. Even his light form can't escape, which is scientifically accurate if they are indeed inside a black hole, as light cannot escape a black hole. So Toy Man attacks them with a giant pinball, and they're on the run. Big toy, and I'm sure they're not amused, but apparently this whole area is a giant pinball machine, and I never thought I would see the day when Wonder Woman would be in a giant pinball. And as Wonder Woman is uh, bouncing around... Uh, the place in her giant pinball, Black Vulcan and Hawkman get booted into somewhere else. So this episode is starting really silly, disappointing compared to the first two challenge episodes. So, Wonder Woman deduced that the Toy Man is behind this, I wonder how she guessed that. And the uh, rest of the Super Friends hear from the astronauts that the three haven't been heard from. 
Riddler breaks into uh, the phone call and as Batman threatens the Riddler. And it almost sounds as if Olin Sewell is channeling Adam West. Especially the way he holds on the word. Doom. We're going to get you and your legion of doom. Very uh, Adam West-like delivery there. I'm sorry, Superman, but Wonder Woman, Black Falcon, and Hawkman left hours ago. We haven't heard from them since. They should have reported in. Something must have happened to them. We better take the... Attention, Super Fools! The Riddler. Right, Batman. And I'll bet you're wondering where your three friends are. I might have known you and the Legion of Doom would be behind this. Brilliant deduction, that brains. But will you be able to figure out my riddles as easily? Never mind the games, Riddler. Where are they? You'll have to figure that out for yourselves. And here's your first riddle clue. A million years ago, it was just a trickle. And if you don't hurry, your friends won't be worth one nickel. <laughs> Holy mind-benders. What does it mean, Batman? I'm not sure, Robin. A trickle? Water? A stream? That's it. A million years ago, it was a trickling stream. But now it's the Grand Canyon. Good thinking, Batman. I'll plug it into the Justice League computer and see what we come up with. According to this printout, there's an abandoned nickel mine at the bottom of the canyon. That must be our target. Let's go. So, Batman solves the Riddler's riddle, and they're off to a nickel mine near the Grand Canyon. Scarecrow is here, and he causes a rock slide. And while that's happening, uh, Black Manta releases uh, the water from the Hoover Dam and threatens to flood them out. And with the shaft flooding, Green Lantern makes a drill with his ring, and they escape. Now, the Riddler appears on a blimp and announces a new riddle. It looks like the Legion of Doom is having good sport with us. That's putting it mildly, Batman. Look! If you think that was tough, then tighten your belt and find your next clue before you all melt. The Riddler's clues are getting harder, and we're losing time. At least he never lies with his clues. If we can figure them out, we'll find the others. Wait a minute. The Riddler said, tighten your belt. But there's another spelling of the word titan. T-I-T-A-N. It means a giant. And who's got the most gigantic belt in the galaxy? Holy constellations, Batman, of course. It's Orion's belt. Right. And before we all melt must mean our next clue is near the hottest star. Let's go. While they're trying to figure out the riddle, the Flash takes solace in Riddler's honesty. Batman figures it out that Orion's belt is the answer, and Orion's belt is in space. Because you went with... So in the black hole, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Black Vulcan find a dollhouse and a giant baby, which is kind of scary looking. And honestly, this version of Toy Man is quite annoying. And it's not really the Toy Man at all. At least not the Toy Man as we're used to him. Not the uh, kind gentleman in the uh, green tuxedo. Like I mentioned, he's a court jester. Basically, uh, Harley Quinn with a toy fetish. But Black Vulcan gets trapped in a baby's bottle, which is weird, again. But he escapes, and like I said, everybody just looks so tiny in this giant dollhouse. So they, the Super Friends find their clue in Orion's belt, and I'm wondering exactly how Riddler could put a clue on a far planet, which is apparently ruled by this group of women who turn the Super Friends to stone. Perhaps I can help you. Who are you? I am Empress Zena. I know all that happens on my planet. We're looking for a clue to the whereabouts of our friends. I'm sure my girls can help you. Janna, Stanazi, Barengo. Excellent. 
The sleeping pollen will keep them unconscious for hours. We'll have plenty of time to petrify these beautiful male specimens and add them to our stone menagerie. You have done well, Najura. These strange ones will make a beautiful addition to our collection. Whatever these weird Amazon women have done, it's turning the rest of the super friends into stone. But the atoms in my body are too fluid to solidify. I'll speed up the atomic motion in the others and get us out of here. Apparently Flash is immune to it because his molecules are moving too fast and when he's rescued, Superman makes a crack that they don't need to stand around like stiffs, which it's always strange when Superman makes a joke like that. It just seems out of character for him. So Riddler tells them to follow their noses, but they will end up in the dark. So you can while the Super Friends are figuring that out, we go back to Earth, where the Legion of Doom is demanding ransom, which is basically what they do. Okay, so they figure out from Riddler that Hawkman, Black Vulcan, and Wonder Woman wound up in a black hole. So Superman and Green Lantern take off for the black hole. But they just leave the rest of the Super Friends floating in space. What's the range on a Green Lantern power rank? How long can how Jordan's willpower lasts if he's not actually thinking about them in the bubble in space. Maybe Superman and Green Lantern should have set these people down on a planet or something. So apparently, uh, Superman and Green Lantern kind of combine their willpower and they kind of almost seem like they become one person. I guess that's the uh, how the animation manner shows them uh, combining their willpower. So they breach the black hole, saving Wonder Woman, Black Vulcan, and Hawkman. And while the money comes in, the villains celebrate... And the Super Friends return. So, the Super Friends have the Legion captured, but Brainiac has, still has his cloaking device, and they escape that way. So, this was a nicely done episode. The Riddles were well thought out, and definitely an episode the kids could either think along with or just watch. Totally up to them. But, despite my issues with the Toy Man on this show, as it's not really the Toy Man, I liked everything else about this episode, even if that's a kind of a sticking point. A lot of the changes to Superman lore for this will be a sticking point for me, but I'll get through it. So, let's take another quick break, play up another promo, and then I'll come back with the new Super Friends episode, Sinbad and the Space Pirates, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, The Time Trap. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega-series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, Big Magnus, Big Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. 
be there in February 2018. Trenis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com as well as iTunes. Welcome back, folks. The episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 30th, 1978. And we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Sinbad and the Space Pirates. And our synopsis is as follows. Captain Sinbad and his band of space pirates come to Earth and start plundering the treasures of an Incan temple in Peru. In Mexico City, they continue treasure hunting at the Aztec Temple until Superman and Wonder Woman intercept them. But the ships turn invisible, giving the heroes to slip. When each of the three ships go to a different location, so do the Super Friends. We'll need your help, Admiral Brighton, to plan a strategy of attack. I'd say these space pirates have an excellent knowledge of seamanship, and their flying battleships will pose a difficult navigational problem. I've picked up the three pirate ships, Admiral. They've split up. One's headed for Easter Island. The other two are making courses for Stonehenge and the Bermuda Triangle. That means we can't concentrate our forces. We'll have to split up, too. Your best strategy is to defend their primary targets. Right. We can't penetrate their ships, but we can try to stop them from taking the treasure. Robin and I will head for Easter Island. The Bermuda Triangle is my territory. That leaves Stonehenge for Superman and me. Let's go! Batman and Robin go to Easter Island, where they are nearly goners after the Batjet goes out of control by means of the pirate's anti-gravity beam. Aquaman finds one at the Bermuda Triangle, only to be attacked by two hypnotized octopi. Superman and Wonder Woman find Sinbad at Stonehenge, but Superman gets sidetracked by stopping the large stones from hitting London, while Wonder Woman is captured and hypnotized. Aye, we've got plenty more treasure to dig up before we're through. Right, Sinbad. The riches of Earth will soon be ours. Jupiter's! The satellite monitors picked up Wonder Woman! And it looks like she's a prisoner in Sinbad's ship! We better notify the other super friends. Oh, come on, super sis. We can handle this one ourselves. I don't know, Zan. Sure we can. We've got to start sometime if we're ever going to become full-fledged super friends. Okay, Wonder Brother, but I sure hope you know what you're doing. Wonder Twin Powers, activate! Shape of Apelion! Form of Water! The Wonder Twins try to rescue her, but end up captured and forced to row on a electronic oar. Superman, as Clark Kent, sneaks aboard Sinbad's ship as the pirate tries to get a treasure under the Golden Gate Bridge. He breaks Wonder Woman's spell with her own magic lasso, and with teamwork from the dynamic duo, Sinbad is defeated and taken to the Galactic Authorities. Thank you for calling, Super Friends. Our intergalactic police force has been trying to capture Sinbad for a long time. We'll take care of him and return the treasures to their rightful owners. It's good to know there are others in the universe who are working for justice. Yeah, I hope I never have to see that Sinbad character again. <laughs> well, maybe just one more time, Zan. <laughs> so, this episode gives us space pirates. Because we need more space pirates in our lives. And we, we episode starts with a bunch of pirate ships flying through space, and they're going to the third planet from its sun. That doesn't sound anything at all like Earth, does it? We've got these pirates looking for treasures buried on Earth. Not sure why they need sails when there is no wind in space. And why are the anchors glowing? It's definitely a sea theme, but all the vessels therein have a nautical theme, sailing ships and rowboats. So, 
They find some treasure in South America and it's sucked up into the pirate mothership with Captain Sinbad. So, these two army soldiers in a jeep spot the theft and charge at the pirates, who apparently have a hypnotic cannon and are captured. So, they won't be reporting into their superiors anytime soon. That's a weird image. Superman is on the phone and Gleek is doing some kind of science experiment. He's trying to clone a banana. Well, I guess if you're hungry enough, you need as many bananas as you can get. So we get the report of the theft, and I love how the uh, Peruvian general here is not at all shocked about pirate ships from space. It's the Justice League trouble alert! We're getting a distress signal from South America, Superman. It's coming in on the monitor now. Super friends, this is Colonel Ortiguez of the Peruvian army. A group of space pirates are robbing the treasures of our ancient pyramids. They have taken captives and are headed north toward Mexico. Thanks for the information, Colonel. We'll handle it from here. Zan, Jaina, stay by the monitor and inform the other super friends when they check in. Sure thing, Wonder Woman. And they're headed toward Mexico, and that's where the super friends are going. So, this yellow ray of the pirates seems to just be able to lift up buildings and steal treasure. These two Mexican cops tell the pirates to stop, but obviously that doesn't work. So far, only Wonder Woman and Superman are after the pirates, and uh, Superman flies straight into the force field and bounces off of it. He's going to keep trying, but he has no, no success getting through, so... We're having a little bit more uh, Superman ineffectiveness here. Wonder Woman ropes one of the small boats as she tries to help Superman get through the force field, but her plane just merely bounces off the force field and kind of goes careening in the opposite direction. And here we go, they're actually firing on the Super Friends. We never saw that kind of overt violence before, where somebody's actually firing weapons at the Super Friends. So in order to get away, Sinbad throws the city toward the mountains as Superman catches it and puts it back in place, and that gives the pirates a chance to get away. Now, Batman is asking the Navy for help, and they are easily able to track the pirate ships. So, Super Friends are going to split up into three groups. Batman and Robin will head to East of Island, Aquaman to the Bermuda Triangle, because, you know, that's, that's his territory, the ocean. And Superman and Wonder Woman are going to England and Stonehenge. Batman and Robin are ineffective against one pirate ship, and they are they are sent up by an anti-gravity field, kind of up, up, and, and away into the uh, ionosphere. But they manage to escape somehow by... Uh, going really fast, and, and the pirates manage to escape, and the treasure of Easter Island is gone, and so is the ship. So this flying pirate ship can not only fly through space, but it can also act as a submarine. Aquaman is still getting help from the sea creatures, as he causes two octopi to stop the ship's ray from stealing the treasure, but somehow the pirates reverse the effect with their hyp hypnotizer ray, and send them after Aquaman instead. This is the second uh, time in two episodes that, uh, that a fish is after Aquaman. Now the pirates are after diamonds underneath Stonehenge, and Wonder Woman and Superman are going to show up there. Superman flies in, takes the treasure back, which brings in some threats from Sinbad. And without the anti-gravity ray, the diamonds uh, weigh down the boat. Now Sinbad, ever the master of distraction, sends the heavy stone tablets at London. Superman catches them all, and that gives the pirates a chance to steal the diamonds as Wonder Woman gets involved. She ropes the boat, but is hit by the hypnotizer ray. So they cloak again, and Wonder Woman is hypnotized into helping Sinbad and the rest of the pirates. And this is when the uh, Justice League monitors pick up that Wonder Woman has been captured. And when Jaina notices, she wants to call in the others. Zan, however, convinces her that they can handle it, and it's kind of the only way they can get promoted of monitor duty. So they change Jaina into a pelican and Zan into water, and Jaina carries Zan in her mouth. Well, that doesn't work out very well because the twins are captured and are now slaves. So while the Super Friends regroup, Wonder Woman threatens the Wonder Twins to keep the Super Friends away. Superman is going to disguise himself as Clark Kent and goes in front of this machine in the Hall of Justice to inoculate himself from the hypnotizer ray. And, you know, I'm thinking that perhaps the rest of the Super French do this as well. So, of course, the uh, last bit of treasure is under the Golden Gate Bridge, one of the uh, most famous landmarks in the U.S., one of the most famous bridges in the U.S. And this bridge will receive plenty of uh, harassment this year as it also uh, 
severely damaged during the earthquake sequence in Superman the movie. So Clark Kent is captured, but he is invulnerable to the Hypno Ray. And Superman kind of ties up Wonder Woman in her lasso to break the spell, and the fight is on. Captain Sinbad's got a laser sword, not to be confused with a lightsaber from Star Wars. And uh, after Superman's heat vision is uh, ineffective, uh, Superman kind of just blows Sinbad off the ship and uh, into some ropes, taking him right out of the fight. Now, I will say this. The Batplane sure has a lot of anchors. Six to be exact, two for each of the three pirate ships. And the pirates are turned into the intergalactic police force who have been after them for a long time. And you know, Superman mentions that he's happy that there are others out there working for justice. So, no, not a bad episode. You know, lots of adventure, villains. But it's a fast episode. Not really that much to talk about. It's a kind of episode where what you see is what you get. It's uh, the super friends fighting some space pirates who are trying to steal some treasure. I mean, what else would you expect space pirates to do? So. Let's move on to the challenge of the Super Friends episode, The Time Trap. Grodd supplies a time conveyor used to lure Aquaman and Apache Chief after Black Manta and Giganta into the prehistoric past. Then Green Lantern and Samurai are trapped in Camelot, and Batman and Robin in Imperial Rome. Aquaman thinks to use his JLA communicator to signal the Super Friends in the future. This is the precise location of the Hall of Justice, but what good will it do us? My Justice League mini-radio is powered by a tiny nuclear battery, which will last well over a hundred million years. Black Manta said we were in 70 million BC. All we have to do is add 1978 years plus 252 days and set the mini radio to give off a trouble alert signal at that time. Of course, Aquaman. Then if we bury it under the Hall of Justice, the Super Friend should receive the signal in the future. It's our only chance. And Superman flies through the time barrier to rescue them. Then they confront the Legion at Sutter's Mill in 1848. I think Grundy and Sinestro have more money than they know what to do with. They will not have anywhere to spend it where they are going. Wrong, super friends. My time conveyor is programmed with an emergency escape activator. We'll see you in the future. Holy vanishing acts! They're getting away! Come on! Hold it, Robin. We'll take care of them in the future. And any other time they try to spread their injustice in the domain of the Super Friends. So, time travel. And I must say right off the bat that time travel is one of my favorite sci-fi concepts. I love me some time travel ever since I you know, watched the first Star Trek episode that involved time travel. Watched the Back to the Future movies. Just Time travel and parallel universes of always, and alternate timelines have always been a big thing that I enjoyed watching uh, in my science fiction growing up. So this episode opens with a threat to a Bizarro who is tired of losing, and, uh... Me tired, always lose to super friends. Me go home to Bizarro world, where everything backwards. There, losing equal winning. Silence, Bizarro, or you'll be the one who loses. Besides, Grodd has devised a plan whereby we'll all be the winners. Luthor speaks the truth. I have conceived a plan that will enable us to rob the Earth of its greatest historical treasures. And at the same time, we'll rid ourselves of any super friends that try to stop us. My interspatial time conveyor will give us a doorway into the past. Our legion will soon rule the wealth of the world, and we'll have all the time we need. <laughs> but this time Grodd has a plan. He's going to open doors into the past, and they're going to take care of the Super Friends that way. 
Black Manta and Giganta attack a ship in the ocean and lure out Apache Chief and Aquaman. Aquaman and Black Manta are playmates in the comics, uh, while the opening uh, sequence seems to uh, indicate Giganta and Apache Chief have similar powers. The uh, opening, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, shows Giganta walking through a city and Apache Chief growing to a similar size and following her. So, they are lured into the distant past and somehow Apache Chief knows that it's a time barrier. How does he know that? Does he have experience with these things? So, Manta and Giganta are going to search for a prehistoric treasure while they are in the past. Meanwhile, Aquaman is trying to talk to the prehistoric sea life, and Aquaman is able to corral them. So, here we get Apache Chief and Giganta getting getting huge, but they go back to the proper time, trapping Chief and Aquaman millions of years in the past. So, But it's interesting that somehow the Legion can communicate through time with their counterparts. Maybe that's part of uh, Grodd's time conveyor. So, Captain Cold and Sinestro are now defacing Mount Rushmore, so Green Lantern and Samurai go after them. They fix the mountain and chase Sinestro and Cold through a doorway. You know, and I'm wondering as it, you know, we see these rectangular doorways in front of the Super Friends. Does anybody else see these things? So, they ended up in Camelot. Again, Green Lantern knows that they've gone back in time, and Samurai seems to know when. So, then we get a police alert that Solomon Grundy and Gorilla Grodd are breaking into the treasury in Gotham. Again, Batman and Robin swing through the door without a care in the world, and voila, they're in ancient Rome. Again, Robin knows they've traveled through time. These super friends are really, uh, you know, they're up on uh, their time travel. As soon as they're in the past, one of them knows about it. So, Superman calls a meeting of whoever's left to report the missing super friends. Everyone else is gone, but him, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Flash are there. So, Cold and Sinestro are going after King Arthur's treasure, and apparently you could just steal that stuff and deposit it in a 20th century bank account. So, no problem there. Now, I know this is the Silver and Bronze Age, and this cartoon, you know, just wants to use uh, DC villains, but... Knowing what I know about Sinestro, why exactly does he need to steal earthly stuff? As a cosmic villain, you would think uh, gold or whatnot are somewhat below him. But we do get an interesting joust between Sinestro and Green Lantern, and the two mortal enemies are going to fight each other. But Sinestro gets the better of Green Lantern in the joust, and it looks like he's about to run him through when Samurai whips up a tornado and saves Green Lantern. And that didn't seem like a fair fight, but Cold and Sinestro escape, and Green Lantern and Samurai are stranded in the past. They're also arrested by King Arthur's uh, men for stealing the treasure. So, they're having a really bad day, because not only are they in jail, but Green Lantern's power ring is also dead. But nothing's going good for the samurai and Green Lantern. Grundy and Grodd are stealing Roman treasure. Grodd has the gold, but Grundy seems to be carrying a statue of uh, Julius Caesar, and uh, after they disappear, Grodd and uh, Grundy, that is, Batman and Robin are arrested for stealing the treasure. Batman and Robin try to defend themselves in front of the Emperor, but he doesn't want to hear it. So, these are the ones who dared to steal my treasures. No, Caesar, we were only enough. You were only robbing the Emperor of Rome and sealing your fate. Take them to the Colosseum. The lions will enjoy them. And he sends them to the Colosseum where they're going to face off against a lion. So, apparently the Legion of Doom has only planned to get rid of six super friends, leaving the other five to find their friends and leave the Legion alone. But there's one more theft to go. Sutter's Mill before the 1849 Gold Rush. They're going to mine the gold in 1848 before anybody gets there. So, uh, Apache, Apache Chief are standing on what they believe is to be an island in the middle of the water, but it turns out it's a dinosaur, and uh, now it's attacking them. You know, that's kind of a riff on, uh, you know, two people standing on what they think is an island, but it turns out to be a turtle shell. In this case, they're standing on a dinosaur. Which, so, okay, so here's what, here's what Aquaman and Apache Chief are going to do, because they're the only ones free enough to think about these things. They're going to find where the Hall of Justice will be in the future. And Aquaman is going to bury his communication device. Which, by the way, is run by a nucle little nuclear battery in it, which is going to last 100 million years. 
Apparently, they only need to last 78 million years, so that battery is good to go. And he's going to program it to send a trouble alert signal to the Super Friends at the proper time in the future. Not a bad plan. And it works. Has the Super Friends received the trouble alert in the future? And Superman finds the communicator under the hall, basically by uh, punching through the floor. So, good thing something didn't happen to it after all that time, but one punch of Superman and it's in their hands. So, they they carbon date the dirt surrounded by the uh, device and it was buried about 78 million years ago. So, back in the uh, pre-crisis era, Superman was able to fly through time and he does that here. And he can carry people as well, so he rescues Aquaman and uh, Apache Chief. And now he has to find the others. So what he does is he uses Aquaman's device to find the other super friends as he is traveling back through the time stream. Batman and Robin are facing off against lions, and it appears the ancient Romans are smart enough to take their utility belts. But Superman rescues them, and as he grabs them, their utility belts are magically returned to them by the animators. And he also, while he's uh, doing that, he also grabs uh, Green Lantern and Samurai out of their jail cell. So all the super friends are back in the present, and the Justice League computer seems to know that the Legion plans to go back to before the gold rush to steal the gold. Don't know how it knows that. But it does. And uh, with Green Lantern's help, the Super Friends go back into the past. And the thing about time travel is, the Super Friends can just go back to in time with enough time to set a trap. And as you can see, when the Legion arrives, the Super Friends are already there, sitting there waiting. And the fight is quick as the Super Friends send the Legion packing in a hurry. They capture the Legion, but due to uh, the time machine, they disappear back into the future. So, I like that episode. Like I said before, time travel being one of my favorite sci-fi concepts, and it's done rather well here. The trick Aquaman used to warn the Super Friends in the future was very smart, and I liked using Superman's ability at that time to fly through time to pick them up was a good use of a you know, relatively unknown superpower. And I did mention, I mentioned this in the opening, one of the problems these episodes seems to have is how long it takes to set up the predicament, so they have to resolve it pretty quickly. I probably wouldn't get bored if these episodes were an hour like the season one episodes were. But this was a good episode. So... Next time, I'll cover the new Super Friends episodes, the Pied Piper from Space and Attack of the Vampire, and the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Trial of the Super Friends, and the Monolith of Evil. In the meantime, you, pl- you can send in your feedback to manofscreen at gmail.com. Feedback is always welcome. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you give me a review over on Apple Podcasts. That will help others find the show as well. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>